With threats to our nation waiting around every corner, adaptability is more important than ever. When conditions change without notice, quick strategic thinking is crucial. And with obstacles consistently impending, determination is essential in overcoming them. It's this willingness, decisiveness, and resilience that sets Marines apart. With our fighting spirit, we don't just fight battles, we win them. Marines are the constant our nation counts on to fight the unknown. And through adaptable problem solving, we do just that. Learn more at Marines.com. Welcome into the 49er Access Podcast. My name is Sterling Bennett, and talk about a statement victory for the San Francisco 49ers declawing and annihilating the Jacksonville Jaguars 34-3 in Jacksonville coming off the bye week. The Niners advanced to 6-3 on the year, still in first place in the NFC West, and Philadelphia on the bye week this week. I guess you can say they climbed half a game closer to the number one seed in the NFC with Philadelphia just a handful of weeks away. And after winning by 31 points on Sunday over Jacksonville, it's the first time the San Francisco 49ers have won on the road by at least 31 points since week eight of 2013 against, you guessed it, the Jacksonville Jaguars and This was a game coming in where I thought San Francisco could have won this game, should have won this game. I said 27-24, but boy, did the San Francisco 49ers prove me wrong in all of the right ways. Yes, there are areas that maybe still gave them some problems that need to be cleaned up against the Buccaneers, especially against Seattle and Philadelphia, but you talk about the San Francisco 49ers getting themselves right, beating the second hottest team in football, who was on a five-game winning streak coming off the bye week of their own. San Francisco, did they get their groove back against the Jacksonville Jaguars? And I can just say this, that at least the defense did. The offense looked great again, 34 points, but the bigger question mark coming in to this week was Steve Wilkes. You've had a week and a half to get this thing right. Uh, There's a talk of Kyle Shanahan and Steve Wilkes having one-on-one private conversations, hoping that they can figure this weird three-game stretch out where you won five games in a row, the defense plays great, then you lose against the Browns and the Vikings and the Bengals, and things just look off. The defense can't get sacks, you can't get pressure, you can't cover anymore. And it felt as if everything was going wrong and things were falling apart. This past week, prior to the game on Sunday against the Jaguars, Steve Wilkes makes a blanket statement saying, hey, I am built for this. And my question for him was, then prove it. And oh by golly, (laughs) did Steve Wilkes prove to me, to the fan base, to the team itself, that he indeed is the right man for the job, at least against... The Jacksonville Jaguars has to carry it over, and we'll certainly get into that today. Going to talk about Brock Purdy, how great he was, Uh, Chris McCaffrey not scoring a touchdown, but again, let's focus on the defense first, and before we do, I want to remind you, we're brought to you by SeatGeek. Use our promo code 49ERSACCESS, 49ERSACCESS at SeatGeek.com to save yourself $20 off 
your first purchase. Okay, this Niners defense, what happened on Sunday? Niners, I believe, won the toss, deferred, and said, we're going to put our much-criticized defensive coordinator in the spotlight early. Prior to the game, there was a cutaway to Steve Wilkes, and I was like, how many of those are we going to get today if things go poorly? Thankfully, almost nothing went poorly for the Niners on defense, really on both sides of the ball all day long. Steve Wilkes out of the booth, on the field, what was the impact? Uh, he's not going to be Demeco Ryans. He's not going to be Robert Sala flexing and screaming and throwing down clipboards and headsets when he's happy and, and you know dabbing up players and whatnot. But we saw for the first time the maybe more energetic side of Steve Wilkes on Mooney Ward on a, when he batted the ball down on third down in the end zone. Jaguars are marching, gets the big pass defense. He's out there dabbing him up, clapping with him, getting in his face, celebrating with him on Amber Thomas's fumble recovery and strip of Christian Kirk, which was an assumed touchdown for about 20 seconds before it got called back. Uh, you can see Steve Wilkes, who again, we talked for months and months and months that Amber Thomas was someone that he might be able to revitalize his career. You can tell there was this proud father moment of you're being tasked with playing outside corner in lieu of Lenore sliding inside to replace Oliver at nickel. And Thomas was the best cover player on the entire field against a pretty darn good Jacksonville Jaguars defense. You saw Steve Wilkes give him a big hug, get in his face, and, and you can just assume saying, like, I am so proud of you. Then you also see him doing the Javon Hargrave sack celebration with Hargrave. This defense felt like it was playing more free. Felt like there was this almost liberation of you're no longer trapped inside this metaphorical and literal booth of a box. It's go out there and just play defense. Yes, getting Chase Young certainly helps to almost reestablish the all-in mantra this team has carried over the past couple years, getting McCaffrey, Hargrave, now Chase Young. But I do think that on the very first play of the game, go back and watch it, San Francisco has five defensive linemen out there. Bosa, Armstead, Hargrave, Kinlaw, and Chase Young. From the first play, then you see Lenore on the nickel, Thomas outside, you go, this is an entirely new defense than what we've seen. They're going to be more aggressive, but not in the blitzing kind of way. More so of just Wilkes saying, I got five dogs on the front seven, and that doesn't even include Warner and Greenlaw, who were also awesome. It felt more of like, let's just get back to basics. Let's just play smash mouth, control the trenches, San Francisco 49er football, and they did that from the get-go. Again, there wasn't a lot of blitzing. Steve Wilkes was brought in, and the conversations were, he's going to blitz more, be more aggressive, uh, brought in Isaiah Oliver to be a nickel blitzing player for him, and that's worked in some ways, but not in all the ways. Obviously, not very happy with the final drive of the halftime or before the half against the Vikings. Uh, a lot of criticism for that leading to a touchdown. A lot of blitzing issues for this Niners team. Steve Oaks dialed the blitzing down from 23% on average to only 8% against the Jaguars. And they still got pressures on 31% of their dropbacks, up 26% from the average. So less blitzing in this game by 15%. And the pressures went up by 5%. Uh, I'm not going to say that's the cause of it, but I'm sure it's not just a coincidence that when your players are playing freely, they have this reinvigorated up the bi energy, 
and you have a new Chase Young and, and a new toy in the building on the defensive line, you can just tell there was this spark of energy from the get-go. Steve Wilkes called a great game for this team, and, and I guarantee you sparked this Niners defense that did tally five sacks on the day. Nick Bosa got one and a half sacks. Hargrave, one and a half sacks. I thought this was Hargrave's best game as a Niner so far. Um, one and a half sacks, three pressures. Uh, one of his pressures led to a sack by somebody else. Uh, one of his pressures led to the INT by Fred Warner. He had the highest pass rush win rate on the entire team and the highest run stop win rate on the entire team as well. Uh, so when you're getting your interior guys to get pressure, take up double teams, you're allowing your Bosa's, your Young's, your Clellan Farrell's to clean up the mess and really bring down quarterbacks and get sacks. Uh, going further into this, Clellan Farrell had one sack. Armstead, the first third down of the game for the defense, what does he do? Burst through the defensive line with Nick Bosa and a tag team, Lawrence, for the first sack of the game, leading to a punt almost setting a tone, sending a message to the Jaguars of like, yeah, like, past three weeks wasn't us. We haven't been getting sacks. First drive, boom, sack on the very third play of the game, gets a punt, the offense goes down, scores a touchdown. The defense was the tone setter, and if this is how they're going to play the rest of the year in second halves, whereas in previous months in October, Shanahan's record isn't very good, but the past couple years in November, now they're 9-2. and two. This is the month where San Francisco begins their march towards the top of the NFC. And if they're going to play this way, it's going to make the offense's job so much easier. And if Young and Bosa and Hargrave and company can get pressure, it's going to make Lenore and Thomas and Oliver and Mooney Ward and Ufungas and Gibson's job a lot easier as well. Uh, Chase Young, though, his first game with San Francisco had a half a sack. Uh, and you can just, just tell the chemistry with Nick Bosa is there. Um, it is abundantly clear <laughs> that with Nick Bosa and Chase Young together on the field, these are called the Buckeye Bros, played in college together. They obviously had this big brother, little brother relationship, and you can just tell that by Nick Bosa's own words, I'm happy you're here, we're happy to have you here, that their chemistry is unlike uh, many we've seen here in San Francisco uh, it was a great win, but also, again, a, a very dominating victory. It wasn't as if, like, had San Francisco come into this game and won 27-24 like I thought it was going to be, or it was, was a hard-fought victory, I do think we'd sit here and say, you'd be a very good team, give the Jaguars credit, but again, San Francisco annihilated them. Like, this crushed one of the hottest teams in football by 31 points. In fact, when they've played the Dallas Cowboys and the Jacksonville Jaguars, I would argue B-tier teams that are really good, not elite, but really good teams trying to make a statement that, you know, want to give it to San Francisco. They've outscored Dallas 42 to 10 in this game against Jaguars 34 to to three, excuse me, 76 to 13, Dallas and Jacksonville. This team loves to crush B-tier teams that are going to be playoff teams, and they really proved in this game that the Niners are an elite team. When they're all healthy, everyone's back and good to go. You can just feel this team felt like the team that was the first five weeks of the year, not the past three. Uh, going back to Chase Young and Nick Bosa, 
there's a play in this game where it was as if you're watching a mirror image of each other. I'm not sure if they're down or what quarter it was, but they both beat the tackles at what seemed like on the exact same pass rush move and are just moving towards the quarterback for a sack. There's two forces ready to combine for a sack. And it was like, oh my goodness, is this what heaven looks like? <laughs> is this what this, this perfect edge rushing duo would look like here? And I honestly believe, again, that Chase Young can stay healthy, Nick Bosa can stay healthy, and they can carry this over for the next, I don't know, what, couple of months prior to the playoffs, that this is going to be by far the best edge rushing duo we've had in San Francisco since Alden Smith and Ahmed Brooks, probably. And I like D Ford for a year. He was fine. I met him in Ebucom the last couple of years. No disrespect. If this is how they're going to play every single week, or at least getting pressures and getting sacks and whatnot, um, this is going to be the best edge rushing duo for the next two months we've seen since the Harbaugh era in San Francisco. And that's really exciting to see. Um, going even further into the defense, you have five sacks. You also got four takeaways. It felt as if everything that Steve Wilkes' defense and the defense itself have been criticized for was you don't get sacks, you're not getting takeaways, and you're not getting off the field on third down. Every, oh, and you're not tackling. Everything they've been criticized for and people have been talking about of like Steve Wilkes could get fired, even I said, if they don't get this thing right against Jacksonville, Tampa Bay, you, you cannot go into Seattle with this defense led by Steve Wilkes. Everything they were criticized for they were great at against the Jaguars, who are a much better team than Cleveland, than the Vikings, and the Bengals, in my opinion, up to this point of the year. Then we'll see in a few months where this win stands, but at this point, five-game winning streak up the bye week, Jaguars at home, riding high. They smacked the you-know-what out of Trevor Lawrence and that Jaguars offense that was rested, they were healthy, have some of the best weapons in football with a really good head coach and a pretty good quarterback leading the helm. San Francisco said that means nothing to us. Uh, we have a comment here from Bobo says, great win against a great team and the schedule only gets harder from here. I really want to humiliate the Seattle Seahawks. I agree, Bobo. It's one win. Uh, it doesn't mean we're Super Bowl champions or we're back in the elite category. We never left, mind you. But I do believe that the huge win for San Francisco, and you got Seattle in two weeks. You actually got them twice in the next five weeks. You have a really good chance to sweep them. In my opinion, the Seahawks aren't really that good. Um, they're fine. They got Pete Carroll. They're always going to be prepared for a game. But we've seen them up and down this year. Uh, Geno Smith has not been Geno Smith this year. The offense is kind of stagnant. And the defense is better, but not, you know, the Legion of Boom. They were told us they were going to be this year or or the LLB 2.0. Um, but Bobo, you are correct. Great win against a good team. Only gets harder from here. And I have hope they're going to continue this. Um, but again, going back to takeaways... Hufunga had one pick, Warner had one pick, Nick Bosa and Chase Young combined for a strip sack. It was just pure heaven on the field. Then Ambry Thomas gets a forced fumble, and someone who we didn't expect to start, or someone I said that 
I don't want to see Oliver lined up against your Christian Kirks of the world. Obviously, Steve Wilkes agreed with me, <laughs> and he put Lenore out there, and Ambry Thomas came to play. Uh, I'm not sure like, like what's going on with him. He had a pretty good camp, in my opinion. Um, obviously, during the year, hasn't been the same production-wise. Obviously, he got benched to begin the year, and so he hasn't been as productive, but in this game, give him his kudos. He was awesome. Uh, great in coverage. Uh, you really didn't hear the names Ridley or uh, Christian Kirk, although Christian Kirk was great against Lenore. He was really held to no touchdowns. Again, they only scored three points, and their offense that is very explosive had no explosive plays, maybe outside of one that was 20-plus yards on a, on a, a short pass to uh, Kirk where he beat Lenore off the catch for some yak. It wasn't as if we were beating or getting beat downfield. With Kizik Hands Free Shoes, motion sounds something like this. Kizik helps you experience the magic of motion. With over 200 patents and easy on, easy off technology, you'll never have to touch your shoes again. There are hundreds of styles and colors, plus a squish like nothing you've ever felt. For a limited time, get a free pair of socks with your first order at kizik.com slash socks. Coverage was great. And Amber Thomas, had it not been for Jair Brown and, and, and D. Winter, some rookies, and even Kyle Shanahan himself, that would have been a strip sack touchdown. And this game would have been 40 plus points to three. This would have been a better win point wise compared to the Dallas Cowboys game, which is one of the best wins all year long from any team in the entire league outside of Miami over the Broncos. So San Francisco, this game could have easily been worse or better in, Niner, in, the, in the Niners' favor, and, and the starters didn't play for half of the fourth quarter. It, this felt as if this was the Niners of the first five weeks of Sam Darnold's getting reps again because the defense is playing great, they're getting takeaways, and the offense is playing stellar football. Um, on third downs, again, one of the bigger issues for San Francisco, uh, they held Jacksonville to 4-12 and on the day, a 33% third down conversion rate on the first drive of the game. We talked about Eric Armistead's sack led to a punt. Second drive of the game for the Jaguars, Javon Hargrave's sack led to a punt, on third down later in the game, when Jacksonville had the ball on our one-yard line and marched almost 99 yards, Mooney Ward gets the pass deflection, Steve Volks is hyping him up, leads to a punt, I believe, or maybe a field goal on the day, and prevents the touchdown. And later on third down, Bosa gets a pressure, leads to a Hufunga pick. This team was making plays on pivotal downs all day long. This was a a get-right game of sorts, but this was the most dominant get-right game you can have. In previous years, it was, thank God we're playing the Rams, so we can get right against them. This game was, Jaguars are good. Like, they lead the AFC South, they're a first-place team in their division, they've beaten the Bills this year, they've beaten some really good teams, they're riding high, and San Francisco took a freaking baseball bat to their neck and said, we don't care what you have for us. It's not good enough for us. We are elite for a reason, and you're a B-tier team for the exact same reason. Um, tackling, a huge issue for us the past couple weeks. 33 missed tackles, or 32 missed tackles the past three games against the Jaguars. Just 
seven. They had 10 against Cleveland, nine against Minnesota, and 13 against the Bengals. Again, only seven on the day against the Jaguars. The Niners cleaned up all of their miscues. And I literally mean all of their miscues, sacks, takeaways, tackling, and third downs was almost borderline perfection for them from the minute this game started. Whether it was the NASCAR package to begin the game, Thomas playing outside corner, Lenore playing nickel, the sacks they got to begin this game, takeaways, turnovers, you can just feel the difference. I put on Twitter over and over and over again, they came to play. <laughs> like, this defense came to play to prove to the AFC and send a message, not just to the NFL or the Eagles or the Jaguars, but also to reprove to yourself, we can still do this. Um, when you lose three games in a row after winning what seemed like every game you played for in the past year and a half, um, you kind of, you can, the doubt can start to creep in. You can start to sit back and say, can we do this? Are we sure we can actually get this done? And they needed the bye week. I don't love the idea they were tired or looked tired uh, when the first five weeks, Sam Darnold's taking reps in four of the games and you've won by a large margin. Then you lose three games in a row and all of a sudden you're tired. Um, I get there was injuries, they were banged up. You want to give this team that deserves every bit of leeway the chance to find themselves again and you can tell the minute they stepped foot on the field in Jacksonville, uh, this felt like a home game because there was a handful of faithful there and it felt as if they controlled this game from the get-go of like, they carried this almost cockiness, arrogance, confidence of like, the Jaguars do not belong on the same field as us and we're going to prove that. And, and once we prove that, we're not going to stop doing it over and over and over again. Uh, this Niners team was awesome. Um, and, and I hate to break it to you, Steve Wilkes, you are never going back into the booth ever again, <laughs> as long as you're here. Um, you don't have three bad games in a row, make the change, play like this and say, I'm going to go back up there where I wasn't very good, or the defense played poorly. He has to be on the sideline every single game going forward. If he's not, um, you're going to have questions as to what's going on, why is there an issue, because you don't do that on Sunday against the Jaguars and say, I'm going to go back up there, um, I'm more comfortable. Uh, no, that, that conversation is over with, it's done, because everything clicked for you on defense. Um, I also think that when you get back players like Trent Williams and Debo Samuel, um, it just, again, you score 30 points on offense for what seems like the thousandth time this year. Uh, every game you've won, you put up 30 points plus, right? Um, you can just tell the impact Debo and Trent Williams have on this offense of guys like Debo in himself. He's the leading receiver on this team. I talked about getting him back in the fray, moves Ayuk back down, moves Juwan back down into their second and third receiver spots. It gives them the ability to be on number two cornerbacks and number three cornerbacks, and it allows them to fit the mold of the offense they're supposed to be in, right? And we knew Debo, big game for him, or was supposed to be a big game for him. Jaguars give up a ton of yak coming into this game over what, 150 yards of yak per game. It's pretty crazy how bad they are at tackling um, or stopping yak yardage. But 
getting Trent Williams back was so big for the offensive line and this offense as a whole. Coming into this game, Trent was, you know, he was highly questionable, truly a, a game time decision. Adam Schefter says he's going to play. Diana Rossini says he's not going to play. Then Schefter doubles down. Then Rappaport says he's not going to play. Then Schefter says, no, he's playing. And you're like, what is going on? Like, who are your sources? <laughs> like this, how do all these plugged in people have this many different lanes and answers that don't correlate or, or don't don't relate or line up together? This is crazy. Like, what is happening with Trent Williams? Then you see Trent's, you know, the report comes out. He's not an active. He's going to play. And you have the fan base lose their mind. They're saying, we're going to the Super Bowl again, obviously being fun and, and having fun with it. But you can tell, despite Trent playing left tackle, when he walks on the field with the boom box, walks out, it's like, we got our boys back. But for Shanahan, it's as if he has another offensive weapon. And when you think of that, you think of, Debo and your McCaffreys and your Kittles and your Ayukes, but it feels as if he is just as important as them. Of course, he's your best left tackle in the entire league. He blocks Brock Purdy's blind side, but the way he's able to get out on blocks, open up lanes again, it's almost like Kyle has another offensive weapon at his disposal. And I can argue that yes, you have McCaffrey and these amazing all-pro players, Trent might be the most important piece, or if not the most important, the second most important piece on the offense. Because what he's able to do to free up McCaffrey, open up the running game, give Purdy time to throw in. In this game, it wasn't Trent's best game, obviously still 75 to 85% per his own words. He was still great. Like There was a play in this game where they jump out on the on the run, Trent's leading the charge, and a defender said, I don't want to take you head on. I don't want 340-pound Trent Williams going to crush my bones and send me back to the freaking IR, or, or whatever it's called now. Like, the, the defender turned his back and ran towards the sideline and said, no, please stop, no, you, you can have the extra yards, just don't hurt me, Trent. Trent said in his post-game press conference, I've never seen that before. That's how impressive and and just what he brings to the table. Yes, behind him is, is McCaffrey getting five, six yards of pop on the ground. And you're saying, we're back, folks, we're backs. But it's like, just follow Trent. He will lead you to the promised land. He is and really should be when he's evaluated or valued, whether it's PFF or the NFL 100 list, or just how you talk about the offense, Trent Williams is another offense weapon, and he needs to be categorized as one. Not just left tackle, not just offensive line play. He is a weapon, a literal weapon for this offensive line. He's not a, you know, people talk about Lane Johnson and Jason Kelsey. Yes, Trent is heralded as a future Hall of Famer, but he is a weapon for this team, just as Kelsey and the Eagles align is for a tush push. That's how important Trent is for this offense. And of course, you got Debo back and everything and whatnot, but just the offensive line as a whole was really good in this game. Um, McKivitz is still a little scary and whatnot, but Burford played much better in this game where 
Had Banks been healthy, maybe Burford's getting benched. So he's playing for his job, played good against a fairly decent Jaguars defensive line led by Josh Allen. Then you have Jake Brendel playing much better, and you had an offensive line open up holes for the running game for 144 yards on the ground against the third best rushing defense in football. They put up and they doubled the Jaguars' average yards per game at 79, I believe, at 144. Like, this Niners offensive line in the trenches on both sides, defense and offense, controlled this game from the opening kick. McCaffrey had 96 yards on the ground. This was domination. If you're a Pantera fan, this was domination, right? This was a, just load them up, start shooting, and just don't stop. Like, we are going to make sure that the NFL and the Jaguars know what it's like to play on the field with an elite team. And the Jaguars left at home with their heads down saying like, what just happened to us? I can assure you the Jaguars have some doubt now that, yeah, we're good, but we're not that good. And San Francisco saying, yeah, we're that good and we can get even better. So there were some things that weren't great today. I thought the defense against screen passes wasn't great. Um, Lenore didn't have his best game. This is probably one of Lenore's worst games of the year. But a tough task to guard Christian Kirk. I'm not going to deny that you know, Christian Kirk is the third leading receiver when it comes to slot receiver yardage. Like, he's one of the best ones out there. He's shifty, he's fast, uh, and so I'm not going to criticize Lenore too much, but there are some concerns there of your slot receiver being one of the worst players on defense all the entire day. Um, but besides that, there really was nothing that you can really point to and say, don't love it. Even the run defense that was really heralded as being awesome, or awful, excuse me, the run defense in this game was amazing. <laughs> they held Jacksonville to under 100 yards, held them under 70 yards. Like, this was a game you point to and say, again, the run defense, which was 25th ranked coming in, 24th ranked coming in, was amazing. Travis Etienne, the NFL's sixth leading rusher, did nothing. Did absolutely nothing. Averaged 3.3 yards on the ground. He was a non-factor when other games they played against other better teams like the Bills. ETN was a factor. They took away one of the Jacksonville Jaguars' best weapons on the ground, whereas their best run was from Dearness Johnson, who is their third-string running back. It's not like the Jaguars can get anything going offensively. They had, they had one good drive, one good drive led to three points, and that was it. Um, Randy Daytona in the chat. What's going on, Randy? He has a, a comment here. The schedule was made very unfairly to the Niners this year. A three-game stretch was unreasonable. Look, you, I would agree to a certain extent of playing Cleveland on the East Coast, then Minnesota, then back home against the Bengals. So what, unfortunately? They're also going to have to go play Seattle, in Seattle, then Philadelphia. So West Coast to East Coast and back home against Seattle. That stinks too. Also have to play on Thanksgiving and Christmas this year. I get what you're saying though, um, but when you beat five teams in a row and your team, your starters aren't playing very much, that Cleveland game especially 
doesn't look too unreasonable. And I don't think anybody thought without Nick Chubb, without Deshaun, and without Joel Batonio, they were going to play that well with that defense. But right now, the defense is playing great. Beat the Ravens yesterday. Uh, so the Browns are a good team. I, I, I know they didn't have their great players, but they're a really good team that I think should be given, be given credit. Uh, the Vikings, I think that's the one you point to and say, how the heck do we lose against the Vikings, Randy? Uh, that game is just mind-boggling in, in, in my brain. Um, then the Bengals are a good team back at home. Joe Burrow riding high healthy again off the bye week. That one's tough too, but that's football. That's that's the NFL. It stinks, uh, but that's behind us now. It feels like that's behind us. I can almost guarantee San Francisco has kind of just said, it's a three-game stretch. Nobody is going to care what happened week six through eight if you are holding a Lombardi trophy come season's end. No one's going to care. I won't care. Do you remember Tom Brady's worst three-game stretch when he won seven championships? No. Do you look back and say, well, when when Mahomes won those two rings, I remember that three-game stretch where he just wasn't that great. Mm-mm-mm. No one's going to care. Um... Now you have to get there and finish off with the championship in your hands, but no one's going to look back and say, that Niners 2023 team, they were great to start, but that three-game stretch, whoo-wee, they're going to say, wow, they won 10 games in a row and won the whole thing. Like, that's all that matters. That's all this team sees. That three-game stretch is behind us. Yep, it put us in a hole a little bit trying to climb out of, but we're okay. We have snapped our three-game losing streak back in the win column, and the offense is back to being who they are, and the defense can hopefully hold up. Now, let's talk about the offense, because, oh my goodness! The longest field goal ever attempted is 76 yards. The longest field goal ever missed? Also 76 yards. Why bring this up? Because knowing your limits matters, both when you're kicking a field goal and when you gamble. Betting more than you're comfortable with is like trying a 70-yard field goal. It probably won't go well. So set a limit when you gamble and stick to it. Want more helpful tips like this? Go to KeepItFunOhio.com for games, quizzes, and lots of ways to keep your gambling from getting out of hand. Brock Purdy. Brock is Purdy. Uh, he went out there on the bye week, and he touched the magical Iowa cornfields, and he refound it. He didn't lose it, to be honest with you, but seven bad plays through three games had the world saying, you might want to bench this guy. Had Grant Cohn asking Kyle Shanahan, would you bench him? And Shanahan was like, you don't bench your starting quarterback for no reason. Um, think what you wanted the question, but it also had national media thinking, maybe Brock Purdy isn't that good. Whatever corn husk he touched, whatever magical, black magic cornfield he works in, my God, did Brock Purdy come back refreshed, retooled, reinvigorated, and ready to go. Because in this game, he was as perfect as you can be without actually being perfect. 19 for 26, 296 yards, 3 touchdowns, and a 148.9 quarterback rating. I believe just 10 points under a literal perfect rating. Again, as close to being perfect without being perfect. This year alone, he's outplayed Dak Prescott, Matthew Stafford, Kenny Pickett, the quarterback who was picked first in that draft class that he was in, and now he outplayed Trevor Lawrence, 
not by a close margin, by a wide, wide margin. And Trevor Lawrence, one of the most heralded quarterback prospects of all time, supposed to be the next, you know, Peyton Manning, the next Andrew Luck, bona fide stud, and by all intents and purposes, he's been close to that, and Brock Purdy outplayed him from the get-go, and it wasn't even close. Any conversations about Brock Purdy? Yes, seven turnovers the past three games, not pretty. I get it. It makes you wonder that, okay, the physical tools aren't there. Is he starting to you know, lag, or is there going to be a catch-up process for the NFL? Is the run over? I get there are questions to ask, but <laughs> he was clearly not the problem against the Browns, the Vikings, and the Bengals outside of seven plays through three games. Whereas Trevor Lawrence, I believe, now leads the entire NFL in picks, and nobody's talking about him and criticizing him like they're criticizing Brock Purdy. I get he doesn't look like the guy, he's not 6'3", he doesn't have an, an incredible arm, had one against the Jaguars, mind you, but I get it. There are questions to be asked, but every time you say Brock Purdy's name, it's followed by a stat line, a record that aligns him with the elite names, the Mahomes, the Tuas, the Allens, the Burrows, or has him on pace with Hall of Famers like Kurt Warner and Tom Brady and Steve Young and Joe Montana. I'm not saying he is those players. I'm not saying he'll be those Hall of Famers. All I'm saying is, what more does this man, this 23-year-old quarterback that is the most underpaid quarterback in the entire league outside of Joshua Dobbs, have to do? To make people buy in and just sit back and enjoy the ride. Yes, you can criticize seven plays against the Bengals and against the Browns and against the Vikings. That's great. I get it. I did it too. And I said, what in the world were you thinking? That being said, every time, every game, we talk about Brock Purdy. It's like, he was great for three and a half quarters. He was, he was phenomenal. When the game's over, it's like he's on pace with Kurt Warner, Tom Brady, the first person to do this since Hall of Famer, Hall of Famer, should be Hall of Famer. This kid is incredible. Incredible. He is the man. He's the guy. He leads the NFL this year in passer rating, 109.9. He, of the Kyle Shanahan quarterbacks, whether it's Jimmy G, Bethard, Mullins, Hoyer, Trey Lance, Go back to the Falcon years, Matt Ryan, MVP Matt Ryan. I have stated from the beginning this year that Brock Purdy is the best quarterback Kyle Shanahan has had since MVP Matt Ryan in 2016. Some sat back and said, what in the world are you saying? Matt Ryan was amazing. He had Julio. He had all this amazing talent. They were crushing it. And guess what? EPA which is a very Shanahan standard uh, stat to use. 2016 Matt Ryan, a 0.339 EPA. That was first in the entire league. MVP for a reason. 2023 Brock Purdy, a 0.355 EPA. Higher than 2016 MVP Matt Ryan. Yes, 
There's so much more story and season to go on. Brock Purdy, at this very moment, and I would assume it's going to carry on the entire year because that's who he's been his entire career thus far, is better in this year than MVP Matt Ryan was in 2016. The, the questions of benching him, the disrespect needs to stop. Yes, I, I get it. Matt Ryan had the arm. He was a smart guy. Brock Purdy doesn't have an amazing arm. Now he can throw it 66 yards to George Kittle, mind you, and be perfect through 20 yards on the air. But all the conversations of, like, take Nick Wright, Fox Sports, respect him, don't agree with him at all, don't even watch his show. But the fact that he sat back and said, we need to start having conversations of if they lose against the Jaguars, we may have to talk about starting Sam Darnold. And that's a disgrace. Hey, Nick, how you feel now that he rocked the freaking world of a former number one overall pick? And, and it, this is what I don't understand. And, and, and the Smitty says, Niners, obviously, then also says, Nick's a hater, and you are right, my friend. But this is what I don't get, is I understand that this... The Brock Purdy story of 7th round pick, Mr. Irrelevant, it doesn't happen often, but I'm 26, going on 27 in 15 days. I have seen this before in my lifetime twice at quarterback. I know it's rare. It's not that rare when it comes to watching Tom Brady being a 6th round pick, or it's not watching Kurt Warner bagging groceries, or Steve Young being in the CFL and coming over. It's not like we haven't seen something along these lines beforehand. And I get it, it's rare. But in my lifetime, I've seen it twice, and I'm watching it unfold for a third time. Again, I'm not saying he's going to be those players when it's all said and done. Now, if you hold seven rings, we're having a different conversation, right? But the fact that we sit back and are just like, Brock Purdy's not real. He's seventh round pick for a reason. Oh, and he has three rough outings or seven poor plays in three games, and all of a sudden it's he's not good enough or he can't do this. When you actually watch him play, and we're seeing people on Twitter banter with Richard Sherman saying, if you watch the tape, actually, are you serious? What are we doing? You're going to tell a future Hall of Fame cornerback who has a freaking Super Bowl defense played good enough to win two of them and I can argue should have three of them because he should have had one here to watch the tape how entitled do we have to be to think that like what <laughs> but Brock Purdy every game whether it's against the Rams or the Cowboys against the Jaguars even on his worst day he is having relatively good games and a few bad plays. But I have seen this play out twice in my lifetime. This shouldn't, well, yes, isn't common. It's not like it hasn't happened. It's happened twice in my lifetime alone. And I sit back and say, wow, maybe it's time for a third. Warner, then followed by Brady, then followed by Brock Purdy. It's been, it's weirdly enough, Again, this is so ironic that Brady retires, then Purdy comes in. And I'm not saying that's whatever. I'm just saying that 
it's almost as if it was time for the NFL to have a new underdog. He knew someone to come in and be that, oh, a Mr. Relevant story, I can't believe this is happening. When you sit back and you realize, I've seen this twice, and I'm not even 27 years old yet. This should not be that big of a shock to most people. I get there are first-round picks that fail every single year. That doesn't shock me. I watched Baker Mayfield play for three different teams. I've watched Sam Darnold play for now three different teams. I've watched Daniel Jones get $40 million and suck. I've watched Terrell Taylor play great and then have an issue with the Ravens with the Chargers. I've watched so many first-round picks fail, quarterbacks fail that were told we were the starting quarterback. I watched Jimmy G get $70 million this year and get benched after nine games for Aiden O'Connell. Now they're smoking cigars in Las Vegas. The fact that a high-end quarterback can fail and people go, well, you know yeah, I expected that. Or first round pick to fail and you go, yep, saw that one coming. The fit wasn't right. But when Brock Pretty plays great for basically a full season, it's like, this cannot be happening. Can't believe it. And we're skeptical every game that he plays. This is not that uncommon. Yeah, it's weird. It doesn't happen every single year. I wish it did. But that's what makes it so special. But the fact is, I've seen this twice. Brock Purdy has been awesome. He, again, there's magical cornfields in Iowa somewhere. He, he is a child of the corn, <laughs> honestly. He's beaten at, this year alone, he's beaten at the time, the number two defense and number three defense in the entire league while having a basically perfect performance both times. He didn't play great against the Browns. At the time, they were the best defense in 50 years. It happens. He had bad games. Why is it that when you have one, two, three bad games, it's like, oh my goodness, the other 15 you've played don't matter? <laughs> like, yes, you can criticize poor play, but it's, whether it was training camp this year and the people in the stands saying, well, Trey Lance is the better quarterback, it, well, Sam Darnold's look better some days, when Brock's like, bro, like, just wait till I play. It, it's not going to be close. And it hasn't been close through two years. If Brock Purdy and Jimmy G were on the same team in 2019 and 2017 together, I get different rosters and whatnot. It probably wouldn't have been close. <laughs> like, Brock Purdy's a better quarterback than half the league. He needs to be in the conversation of, yeah, your Mahomes is, sure. Two is having a great year. Joe Burrow's having an up and down year, but overall, good year. He, we, we, we've seen him be a good quarterback. We've seen Lamar Jackson be MVP Lamar this year for the majority of the season. Jared Goff's having a great year. I'd pick Purdy over Goff. At times, I'd pick Purdy over Josh Allen. Like, And, and that's weird saying that because Josh Allen has the traits you want. He's a runner. But he plays hero ball and has cost his team so many games where Purdy's like, I don't usually do that. I just win games. <laughs> like, it's so... And Schmitty says here... It's so obvious. It's so obvious. And you're right. It, it is so obvious. I don't know why people just can't sit back and say, wow, this kid has got it. And it's so freaking obvious that he's great. Again, they've outscored the Jaguars and Dallas Cowboys 76 to 13. The number two and number three defenses in football at the time. And he didn't even play the entire fourth quarter, basically. And the team they're playing against on Sunday 
they beat 35 to 7 last year without Debo Samuel to begin the game because he got hurt and Purdy had broken ribs and he also didn't play the entire fourth quarter. Josh Johnson got snaps against the Buccaneers last last year. I mean, come on. <laughs> like again, whole season to go. It is abundantly clear whether you want to credit the offense like whether it's Ayuk or McCaffrey or Shanahan, against the Blitz, against the Jaguars, Purdy, three touchdowns, 15.1 yards an attempt. That ain't the offense doing that. That's him doing that. Um, throws over 20-plus yards through the air. Six for six, 163 yards, three touchdowns, no pick. Had a perfect 158.3 rating on those throws and also had a PFF grade of 98.5 when it comes to Pushing the ball down the field. Dink and dunk, my A-double-S. It's the offense, my A-double-S. No freaking way can you actually watch the game and say, yeah, I just don't believe in Purdy. It's all the offense. Shut the frick up. No way do you believe that. And if you say that, I beg you to watch one Niner game. Because it's, again, like the Smitty says, it is abundantly clear it is obvious from the jump this kid had something now we didn't know what it was exactly but now we're almost a full year in people are so quick to to crown a cj stroud mvp conversation he's playing great all credit to him we's a first round pick that's why and brock purdy's out playing former first round picks a year ago two years ago he's out playing quarterbacks getting paid 40 50, 70 million dollars. I was on 95-7 the game yesterday on overtime doing postgame after the Jaguars game. And a caller asked, it was a great question. He asked, if Brock Purdy was a free agent after this year, how much do you think he'd get paid? And I said, more than Goff. He'd get paid more than uh, Kirk Cousins. He should get paid more than Daniel Jones making 40 million dollars. He's already beat Dak Prescott twice. He's beat Trevor Lawrence. If Brock Purdy was a free agent today, he would set the quarterback market for at least that first year. He won't get, you know, high-end top dollar to a borough money. I'm not saying that. I'm just saying if amongst the quarterbacks on their open market this year, he would get paid the most, and it would not be even close. He's 23. He's lost three career games and he's beating top five defenses all the time and he's playing perfect against them. And he's also 2-0 come playoff time and had he been healthy against the Eagles, who knows what would have happened. Brock Purdy would be a market-setting quarterback for those available in this next year's free agency if he was. Now, thankfully... He's making 900 k for the next two years, and we don't have to worry about it. Because if he was, bye-bye Ayuk, bye-bye Chase Young. They would have to cut players to keep him. That's how good he's been. People don't want to have that conversation yet, but we truly should. And I get it. We all talked about it being elite after five games, and then you have three bad games in a row. Everyone was like, see, see, see. No. Let the entire year play out. And you'll see that he'll have, and he'll be in the MVP conversation for the majority of the year. And I wouldn't be surprised if he continues to play like this. He's not a finalist towards the end. It's like, 
And if he is, people are going to buy him then. They're going to stop talking and criticizing him then, asking, hoping he gets benched when? The conversations people are asking about Brock Purdy or, 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 or the questions they're asking are questions they want to ask of, I'm not just sure he can do this. Those are not questions happening in that building. From John Lynch, Kyle Shanahan, the entire offensive line, the defense. They have seen this for far too long, for 16, 17 games now, and the rest of the league, they can continue to hate and not believe. They'll see it once he scores three touchdowns, has almost 300 yards, and has a near-perfect rating against their top five defense, and then they'll say, we were wrong about Brock Purdy. Who would have thought? We would have thought. It's abundantly clear how good he is. And we haven't even got to the entire rest of the offense yet, <laughs> because George Kittle was awesome. Three catches, 116 yards, one touchdown in this game. He had Purdy hit him on the open floater for a big gain. Then, of course, the big 66-yard touchdown pass uh, to open up the second half on the, th the th third total play kickoff, the pass to Debo. Then, boom, Kittle, Shanahan being aggressive, a 10-point flip, halftime uh, field goal by Moody. Then a boom, big touchdown for Kittle. You get your 10 points. It's 23-3. to three, And you're sitting here like, game over, lock it up, wrap it up. We are good to go. Aggressive Kyle. One of the best throws Purdy has ever made in his career. Uh, pocket collapses, kind of off balance. Throws it up to him. Perfect placement. You see Shanahan just fist pumping on the sideline. He knew it was a touchdown. That's how in sync they are as a head coach and quarterback combination. They know what's going on. Uh, the Ayuk was also awesome. The Ayuk. <laughs> uh, three catches, 55 yards, one big touchdown, had a big 20-yard crosser in this game. Uh, and also, Brock Purdy out here doing Brett Favre things. I talked about it in, in the Bengals game, which wasn't his best outing, mind you, but running to his left, running to his right, and somehow throwing a crossbody on two consecutive plays against the Bengals for a touchdown to CMC. In this game, he rolls to his left, doesn't find anybody, is like, ah, then throws into triple coverage, one of the people being George Kittle. Thank God he didn't play defense on this play, and somehow fits the ball over Kittle and two defenders into the arms of Brandon Ayuk in the back of the end zone. Talk about the most, like, bona fide F your defense play that I'm going to throw crossbody against your defense and they're not going to stop me because I know I'm going to make this throw. Now, Shanahan said, uh, that's the worst throw he's ever done, hated it, and Purdy said, yeah, I'd agree. I don't want to do that. But had Mahomes done that, had had Josh Allen or Lamar Jackson, they'd be like, oh my goodness, all over Bleacher Report and the NFL, and they'd be saying, how great is this player? That needs to be put up on the freaking Jumbotron in Dallas saying, look what we have and look what you don't have. <laughs> because, my God, that was an elite level play from, in my opinion right now, an elite level quarterback. Is it dangerous? Yes. We've always talked about that's what separates the good from the great. The willingness, the big cojones to make those plays. Brett Favre, as a person, not, not the biggest fan. As a player, a lot of picks, but guess what? He's won a ring, a lot of touchdowns, and a lot of wins for a reason. It can hurt you at times. In Minnesota, against the Saints, playoff game, 
forced to pass, picked off, season's over. But I've also watched him run to his left and run to his right and I'm throwing crossbody 80 yards downfield to Donald Driver and Greg Jennings and whoever else want to add Bubba Franks, whoever else is in there, Sterling Sharp. And I'm hitting guys double, triple covered. It's dangerous. Yes, but it's what separates you from being good, great, and elite. Brock Purdy, dangerous throw. He's making Brett Favre Hall of Fame level throws out there. Decisions that you say, no, 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 no. Yes, 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 yes. Because, you know, that's what gets you wins come Super Bowls and playoff time. We haven't had that since Steve Young. Even Kaepernick, for as great as he was, for as short of a time that was, he wasn't doing this stuff. He'd have an amazing run, and he'd crush the Packers, and he'd run through the Falcons, and an amazing comeback win in Atlanta. Great times. He wasn't making these kind of throws. Alex Smith, for as good as he was in that very short time we had him, when he was actually good with Harbaugh. He wasn't doing this stuff. Jimmy G, for as many wins as he had, wasn't doing this stuff. 99% of the league isn't doing these things. I guarantee you, you poll all the teams. You'll have the Ravens, the Bills, the Chiefs, the Dolphins, the Bengals, maybe someone else starting there I'm missing. Only five or six teams, Chargers probably, seven teams would say, I wouldn't take Brock Purdy over the quarterback I have now. That's... I'm just being honest with you. The Panthers were like, you can have Bryce Young, give me Brock Purdy. And he was this year's first round pick. <laughs> like, come on. Like, these conversations need to be had. That's how good he's been. Uh, Debo, four catches, 30 yards, three rushing attempts, 29 rushing yards, one touchdown. Um, end around touchdown in this game. He was awesome. Getting him back out there physically, just having his presence was amazing. Um, and going back to Purdy again, because why not? On the third and six, Purdy again invades pressure, makes a guy miss, jukes him out of his shoes, finds Debo for a first down, arguably Purdy's best throw of the day. It doesn't even count. It doesn't even count. It's like, man, I've watched Purdy against the Giants and the Cowboys make all these plays, and it's like, wow, like, what the heck is going on? And it's like, some of his best plays don't even count. And Texas boy here, obviously a Dallas Cowboys fan, you win one game and you think you're back. Look, Texas boy, I'll be abundantly clear with you. The Niners have to continue to do this. They can't go into the next game thinking it's all wrapped up and done. It's an every game decision to get ready, to prepare, to make plays, to come out there and want to dominate your opponent. You're right. It's one game. You have to go out there and crush Tampa Bay, beat the Seahawks twice, beat Philadelphia. Well, let me tell you something. You got the same record as us, and you done got your butt kicked 42-10. to 10, And you lost to Philadelphia on the road. So get back in the hole, my friend. Don't come over here saying you think you're back. The Dallas Cowboys haven't been back since the 1990s. I'm sorry, my friend. I'm sorry. Come call me when you play a playoff home game and actually win it for once. Don't come in here saying you think you're back. No, no, no. We'll play it next week. We'll play it for a whole year and beat you every single time. It's that simple. I respect you. I'm just letting you know. No, no. Don't come in here with that stuff. 
Dallas Cowboy fans do not get to talk. Dak having a great year, mind you. CeeDee Lamb is crushing it. My fiance has her on her fantasy team, and I am so freaking jealous. Come call me when you beat Philadelphia in a month. It's not going to happen, unfortunately. They're better than you. More better than you. Half the NFL, if they played you can playoff time, is better than you. I'm sorry. Win when it matters. Purdy already has twice. You ain't done it once yet. Sorry. I respect you. Wish you all the health in the world. But don't come in here. I'll hit you with the LA Knight. Nah, nah. It's not going to happen. Uh, even Kyle Juszczyk getting touchdowns in this game. And that brings us to Christian McCaffrey not being able to set the NFL record for consecutive games with the touchdown. Uh, you can tell there was this like, oh, we kind of forgot about McCaffrey. Like, he had 96 yards, touched the ball plenty of times, and we were like, oh, like, we forgot of all the people, he didn't score a touchdown. It was so insane, they tried to force feed him the ball in the red zone to have him score. <laughs> like, they were actively risking his health for the future, saying, we're going to make sure you get this record. That's insane. McCaffrey had a great game, mind you, but it was like, what is going on? Forget the record, folks. I want the Lombardi Trophy. We're having fun. I get this means something to him and Kyle. That's all cool. I wish he would have got it earlier, but it's like, let's have fun here. Let's not get hurt, though. <laughs> Please. Like, there, I've seen McCaffrey jump over defenders, and it looks like he's going to snap his knee in half or his leg in half, and you're like, for the love of God, stop. Just go down, Christian. I had no idea how, like, how you are that durable. But you have the oblique injury. Let's not re-aggravate that thing, please. And they fed him four straight times in the red zone and couldn't get in. Uh, because the entire Jaguars offense or defense could have guarded him and they still would have thrown it his way. <laughs> uh, that being said, a great win for the San Francisco 49ers. Back on top with a W, 34-3. Great win back in the win column knocking off a good Jacksonville Jaguars team with now our focus on towards Baker Mayfield. Baker, Baker, Nick Bose is coming for you next Sunday at Levi's Stadium. I hope you are ready. Again, a long week and a half with no San Francisco 49er football. Happy it's back. The second half of the season begins with a bang. A massive blowout victory over the Jaguars. Declawed them kitties like it was nothing. Now we're coming back home, hoping to make it two in a row and maybe even extend our lead over the Seahawks and get a game up or up on the Philadelphia Eagles who have an insane schedule. To, and they have the Chiefs, the Bills, us, and the Cowboys. There's a chance if we can make a run here and they can lose some games. We're right back into the thick of it. I hope you loved the show. And if you did, please leave a like, subscribe, and review. Whether it's on the audio version or on YouTube, leaving a like its a free way to help the show. It gets the video out to more people and expands the audience we have. It expands us to more faithful. Because right now, we are celebrating a victory Monday here in the Bay Area. Again, like, share, subscribe, leave that review. Follow us on social media at 49ers underscore access is the Twitter. 49ers.access is the Instagram. You can use our promo code 49ersaccess, 49ersaccess at SeatGeek.com and save yourself $20 off your first purchase. You want to go to that Buccaneers game? Use that promo code and get you a discount. 
anything helps nowadays. Uh, that being said, my name is Sterling Bennett saying thank you for watching. And like this mini says, the Cowboys, Cowgirls suck. 42 to 10, Niners get the win over the Jacksonville Jaguars, 34 to three. And until next time, as always, stay faithful.